Welcome to Scaling the Summit, Radio Gold Style. Your host, Charity Bryan and Sandra K. Sims. I am your technical director, Ginger Aaron Brush. Let's get started. Welcome to another exciting episode of Scaling the Summit. We are Radio Gold. I'm Charity Bryan and my co-host is Sandra Sims. Buddy, how is it going in Birmingham today? It is beautiful. It's yep. beautiful. Yes, ma'am. It is. We're getting in that good part of spring. You know, a little bit of a little bit of sun, a little bit of shine got coming on in my office, and it's good. It's good life. Good life. Sh- should we be on the golf course right now? We should be somewhere other than okay. on the phone. Yes. And, or in the office. Right. Yes. Right. I completely agree. You know where I'd like to be right now, buddy? Where? I would like to be in Texas. Because then we would be in person with our guests that we're so excited to have today, our dear friend and special guest, Diana Everett from Texas. Welcome to Radio Gold, Diana. How are you? Thanks, Charity and Sandra. I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on your Radio Gold. Well, hey, you are really, we, we are thanking you for being <laughs> on Radio Gold. So uh, it's great to see you and spend some time together today. And we're just excited to learn more about your career and everything you've done, which, buddy, is it's quite an extensive list. So I, I'm going to go ahead and just talk. I'm going to gonna take a break. Yeah. Okay. You're just going to. All right. I, I see how you are. All right. Well, Diana Everett retired in 2018 as the executive director for the Texas Association for Health, Physical Education, Recreation and Dance. Diana holds a PhD in sport administration from the Texas Woman's University. Buddy, we've had some TWU alum on, on the show. Yes, we have. I mean, I think Montevallo is still in first place, but I think Texas Woman's may be uh, it, a it's second coming. place. Yes, yep. it is. They are catching up. Her master's degree was in physical education from Baylor University, and her bachelor's also in physical education was from UT Arlington. Diana taught physical education, health, and biology and coached basketball, tennis, and track, and volleyball at Midlothian High School, Travis Middle School, San Marcos High School, Clear Creek High School, and Clearbrook High School, all in Texas. Diana began her association management career in 1995 as the executive director for the National Association for Girls and Women in Sport, Buddy, another organization near and dear to our heart that we know as NAGWS which at the time was allied with the American Alliance for Health, Physical Education, Recreation and Dance, AFERD. Diana resigned in 1999 uh, to return to Texas. And I think, buddy, there may be a little story about how people don't like to leave Texas or if they do, they go back. So we'll hear more about that as well. Diana has presented at the local, state, regional and national conference level. She also has several publications and awards And some of her most treasured recognitions are the Kitty McGee Most Promising Professional Award from the Texas Woman's University, the Meritorious Service Award from USA Volleyball, the Midlothian ISD Athletics Hall of Honor, and the Taford, the Texas Aford Honor Award and Distinguished Service Award. Some of Diana's favorite activities when she's not busy working or being retired are kayaking, golf, sailing, traveling, and reading. Hey, buddy, we don't usually do this, but I have a really cool quote I want to share from one of uh, Diana's colleagues. Do you mind if I do that? I would love for you to. All right. So this was from a, a, a recommendation letter for one of the awards that Diana received. And this individual said, I could write for hours about the accolades Diana has received and the many presentations she has made at the state, regional, and national levels as a professional, not to mention the devotion to years of teaching 
and impacting hundreds of students. But instead, I wanna talk about Diana the person. Diana exudes the characteristics of being a caring leader. Diana never missed what was important, how to interact with people. She always valued others' opinions and wasn't afraid to step outside the box and learn more. Diana has a heart of gold and is one of the kindest human beings I have ever met. The way she treats others and values them with such respect speaks volumes about the person and professional that she is today. Buddy, that's a quote from one of our friends and colleagues, uh, and I would echo every word. I, I completely agree, Diana. So well done. You know, it's a, that's an amazing list. I, I just want to go. I, I'm I'm didn't know all the things, and this is what we're learning, Diana, is that people that we have known forever. You know, we don't usually go back and read people's CVs when we're talking to people and we see people at conferences and we're in meetings with them. But what the great gift of this podcast has been for me is that I've been able to see some things that people have done throughout their career, and I am totally blown away. All right, we know you as a person, but here we see all these accolades. I'd love to kind of like, let's start back at the very beginning when you first got your bachelor's and master's in physical education. Kind of give me some, or give the listeners something with um, what you may be gathered uh, at UT, Arlington, and Baylor that helped just create and actually lay the groundwork for your wonderful career. Wow. Uh, yeah, that goes back a while, to say the least. The, uh, the experience at UTA was, was amazing. It was, in fact, I was in the first, the second, the second graduating class for physical education majors. So there's a little good and a little bad to that. Uh, the good was, you, know, you kind of laid some groundwork, our majors club, that sort of thing. The bad was there wasn't much established. So uh, they brought in some, some, to my opinion, two of the greatest professors ever. One was Dr. Carla Lowry. Uh, Carla was uh, a basketball coach at Sam Houston State here in, in Texas. And they brought her in, not that we had a team, but they needed her as a professor, uh, learned a lot from her. She was uh, on the Flying Queens. Y'all know who the Flying Queens basketball team is? Yes, they, they have the coolest exhibition in Knoxville at the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. It's absolutely yep. incredible. It was, was it Charles Hutcherson and the Flying Queens or yep. something like that? Yeah, yep. very cool. It was at Wayland Baptist College at the time. And they, during, this is back in the 50s. They didn't have, of course, any competition in NCAA. Uh, AIAW hadn't started yet. Uh, so they played internationally with about five or six other teams. And one of the, the other big competitors was the National Business College out of, I think it was either Memphis or is Tennessee, somewhere in there. Uh, so anyway, it was really cool. She played on, on uh, that team as undergraduate, uh, was on the USA uh, national team, won a gold medal at the Pan American Games. Uh, she just was a, a very amazing person. Uh, and the other professor they brought in was Jody Conrad. So, uh, yeah, I don't know from okay. your expression. Stop, stop the show. <laughs> this is like, stop is the show. Jody Conrad was at UT Arlington teaching when yep. you were there? Yep. Okay. Uh, buddy, sc buddy, scrap all the questions. We're just going, we're going to talk about <laughs> okay. this. The okay. whole rest of the show. <laughs> She, she is an amazing, she's taught me a lot. Both of the, these women did. I didn't have a class with Jody, but I got to know her because I worked in a PE office. So I was errand girl for, 
for these women as well. And then she was, I graduated the first, I was worked with her for a year and then I graduated. And so just kept up with her through all of her, her accolades, the, the things, there's so many things, but one of the major things I remember about Jody, when she went to UT in Austin as their head basketball coach to start the program under Donna Lopiano, one of the first things she did as she's setting up all of this system, I think she visited every single city, community, club, group, whoever. She talked to women's knitting circles. She talked to church groups. She talked to anybody that she could get to listen about how great basketball, women's basketball was going to be at, at UT. So she filled the stands before they really even started playing because everybody wanted to come see this team she was talking about. And that just, that was persisted throughout her, her tenure there and was always a lot and still has a lot of support from women and, and they dragged their husbands to the games. Uh, but that was one of the ways that she filled that gym early on. Uh, she was just, she was, she was and is an amazing uh, coach and professional and individual. So got my start with two of the greatest, in my opinion, that, that were around. Uh, Baylor, I had, uh, I had taught for three years before I went back to school for my master's, which was really a good thing. Cause one of, as a graduate student, we received uh, scholarships and had to work for them. So one of my duties was to teach tennis classes at Baylor is a very old gym. And uh, the professor that was in charge of the graduate students for the tennis program um, took us all around. I think there were probably five or six of us teaching tennis. And he said, okay, this is what, the first thing that you do is get your class together and you're gonna go over here and he took all of us to the back door of the gym and he said, here's where the tennis equipment stored. And he had this humongous, I mean, humongous wooden box on wheels. And inside the box, very organized, tennis rackets were all slotted and tennis balls were there, all that kind of good stuff. So the biggest problem was there was a the step down into this room, storeroom, was at least six inches. And you've got this box that weighs God knows how much. So... He's like, okay, Everett, get over here and take this box out to the tennis court. And I said, yes, sir. And I turned around and I looked at the two biggest guys standing beside me and said, so-and-so and so-and-so get over there and get that box out to the tennis court. And he cracked up. He said, that is exactly what you do. He said, there's no way, you know, you're gonna be able to pull it out there or to do anything else. So you get some guys, ever how many it takes and everybody helps get the box to the tennis court. Had I not been teaching in public schools for a while, I wouldn't have known to do that. I would have been too shy to do that. So that experience is definitely helpful. Um, mentors there, there were so many. Dutch Schroeder was that instructor that was in charge of tennis and others. Uh, Dr. Evelyn Kappas was our club sponsor. She was, had been there forever, was just an amazing one. Uh, and then Dr. Ted Powers was the chair of the department. He taught me that there's always two sides to the story. So he was very good about when things were brought to him. He always brought in the people involved and said, okay, tell me, tell me what you know. Um, I've always remembered that. That's been very, very helpful. Uh, 
at TWU, oh my God, there were so many mentors. And, and it's interesting you talked about how many people you've talked to from Texas Women's because it's a small university. I mean, when I was there, there was maybe, I don't know, 5,000 students on campus, if that many. But all through my career, I would run into women in leadership and they were got at least one, if not more than one degree from Texas Women's University. So this is a lot about what that university puts out and produces and, and helps all of us to learn. Um, Dr. Betty Myers was a professor. She, I took every one of her classes because I, I had a concentration in sport administration and she taught group dynamics and all kinds of, of coursework that really you needed to learn those skills for leadership. And uh, she, was, she was an amazing woman and uh, not so much internationally or nationally known as she was in Texas, uh, but still, I was, I was very fortunate to be able to, to uh, have her classes and have her mentorship. Um, I don't know, I'm trying to decide whether to tell you the story or not. Okay, I okay. think the answer is yes. You, you, may have, you may have to edit it out, but. Okay, that's why we have Ginger. All right, exactly. Uh, my first year at NAGWS, uh, they, I wasn't finishing graduate school until the summer, but the CEO at the time uh, wanted me to go ahead and, and at least come on board and, and get to know the people involved. And the, the AFERG convention was in April. I said, I can do that, not a problem. He paid for my plane to, ticket to the convention. And uh, so, of course, the first thing I did was to sit in on NHWS Board of Directors meetings, to sit in on the AFERD Board of Directors meeting. And, <clears throat> excuse me, the AFERD, as I sat there, I don't know if those who have attended that board meeting back in the day, um, you had a head table with the uh, president, and vice president, and past president, and then the CEO and the parliamentarian. All at the head table facing the group. The first row of tables facing the head tables were all the current associations that were aligned, uh, NAWS, NASPE, uh, Recreation, all of the others were there with their presidents. Behind them were their president-elects and past presidents maybe. And then the back row were the executive directors of those associations. And the rules unwritten were, back row doesn't get to talk. You don't say a thing to anybody, anytime. And it really was supposed to be that way for the second row, except they passed notes back and forth to the front row a lot. And sometimes they'd tap on shoulders and, and uh, that sort of thing. But from my just left classes and group dynamics and how when you set up certain rooms or you set up situations, it dictates how things run. And I just sat there in that back row and was like, wow, talk about an example of group dynamics or it being set up with, we're the boss, we say what we wanna say when, you listen, you do what we tell you to do. So there was really not a lot of opportunity for interaction from all these different leaderships, which then produced a lot of animosity because they never got to talk to each other very much. Uh, so it was really an interesting experience in, uh, one of the things that taught me when we got to um, 
when I became executive director of AFERD, I immediately put everybody in a hollow square. And everybody had the same rights and opportunities to say what they needed to say under the rules of governing. You got 20 minutes, the group votes if you want to extend it, blah, blah, blah. So, that, but, but it still put everybody on an equal playing field, which was, was fun. I think I covered all my courses. All yeah, my- and I, I think that what is amazing, I think that the amazing part is your early career had just, in other words, the name dropping that you've already done <laughs> was, was already amazing that you had this many people that could kind of feed your soul and, and uh-huh. help you start on this path. But to all the stuff and the, and the things that you've been able to do right after that, amazing. I can see why you were successful, but clearly you set yourself up for success by by being and, and having um, and listening in on sessions and actually taking courses. And I think, you know, your sport management um, education has helped you a lot. I, I would love to go back to those three years that you said were between UTA and Baylor. Okay, so what was was you said those are three years. Can you give me a quick, which one of the schools was that, that she listed earlier? Was that one uh, of the, what was that one of the high schools that you were at for three years? Well, I, I was, yeah, at Middle Lothian, just south okay. of Austin, yeah. Uh, and so was, you, you were there for three years before you went back to your graduate school? Right. Okay, right. And, and, you, and you coached and taught physical education? Right. Learned- that, yeah, learned quite a bit from that little experience right. of other, how to organize and, and do that. My first year of, of teaching, um, I, I was an older undergraduate student, you know, one of those returning ones. I'd been out in the working world for a while and, and then came back to school. Uh, so I was so excited to be able to do what I had always wanted to do, which was teach. And I didn't learn until after that first year of teaching, I wasn't supposed to be teaching that much. <laughs> that we had uh, seven periods within the day and I was supposed to have six teaching assignments and one period for planning. I didn't, I had seven. I taught four periods of physical education, three of biology and had one for, uh, not four, two biology and one athletics class, which in Texas, we have a class within the day for athletics. Right. But um and I also didn't know that the principal, one of my best principals ever, thank goodness he's my first one, uh, had told about the other biology teacher, hey, we've got this woman hired that can teach biology, so split your classes up and y'all take an equal number of students, which sounds fair, right? <laughs> I got every discipline problem. Oh, no. Every okay. single one of them. I, I think okay. the other person split the list and knew exactly what they were doing. Yep. Okay, so the big thing is, You've had three years as a young, young career. And this is what's so tough for those students that I'm about ready to graduate this next week. <laughs> here they go out and then they're, this cruelty is dropped on them of that here, you're the young one. You're going to give you all you've got because you've got the energy to take it. But clearly you said that it helped you when you went to Baylor and that you, when you're teaching this tennis thing, you learned amazingly on the job those three years in high school of how to delegate and when you were talking we were talking about that heavy box and I think that's the key is that there's so many things in life those little moments that you go back and you think about you're going and that's kind of like what just 
lay those bricks on bricks that really have made, made a great foundation for you. That is a great beginning. And I know we're going to talk more about your high school stuff in a bit. Uh, but I, I just, when you said that about your three years, I think that that's an important piece. I wish people would go back and get some experience before they get their master's. And then that way, you, when you get your master's program, you can start thinking about some things that you started and you have a little bit, I don't know, you have a little bit of headway of what you, where you really want to go with that degree. But thank you for sharing that. I didn't know that about you. <laughs> Not many do. Hey, Diana, boy, I tell you what, I could spend the rest of the show talking about women's basketball with you. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know how I didn't know till this day that you knew Jody Conrad. That's so cool. If I had known that for the 15, 20 years I've known you, I would have been talking to you about that the whole time. Uh, so this is good to know. I may call you after the show is over, but um, gosh, I just want, buddy, I know it makes you nervous when I go off script, but I'm, I'm taking my liberty right now. I've got to follow up with Diana you know, the, the Flying Queens were so great. I actually have a dear friend who played for Nashville Business College. Oh, really? Um, which, yeah, you know, and that was right there in Nashville. That And she went to Peabody, which, of course, became Vandy and uh, is actually a professional in our field from Tennessee, Doris Rogers. And she now lives in uh, Baton Rouge. But Doris, you know, was at Nashville Business College, played for the team. So many great names that, you know, Sue Gunter you know, at the yep. time played up there in Nashville and then became coach at Stephen F. Austin. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately, at a, oh, oh, please tell us now. Oh, <laughs> you have a great Sue Gunner story. No, tell us I now. She, of course, you know, but others may not. She was just a very amazing leader as well as early in the career of women's basketball. So when she went to SFA, mm -hmm. and I never knew this till, till years later, um, I always thought their colors were red, white, and blue. They're actually purple. Uh, her school color is purple. She didn't like it. So she got there and they uh, they had to have uniforms. And so she just changed the colors. Didn't ask anybody. <laughs> she ordered the color of uniform that she wanted. And for, for her career, that's what they played in. And uh, it was, it's just amazing. She, there's lots of stories I don't know about Sue, mm -hmm. but she has, uh, was one of those kinds of of personalities that created lots of good stories. Yeah, Sue was a great person, an incredible coach. Uh, and, you know, I was in Baton Rouge when she was still at LSU coaching. And sadly, you know, that's uh, in 2004 uh, was her last game to coach. And that was that was the first year they went to the Final Four, which was so heartbreaking because, yeah. you know, Sue had gotten sick and wasn't able to actually be with the team on the bench at the Final Four. But um, man, what what great basketball stories. And listen, I got to know before we move on, the major news this week right out yeah. of Baylor is Kim yep. Mulkey is, is at LSU, not even going, maybe she's there uh, in her purple jacket and purple pants uh, <laughs> that I saw yesterday at the press conference. So what, what are your thoughts on that big move? Oh, I was, I was kind of surprised, although, because she has such a legacy at Baylor. Uh, and so my first thought was on our side of it was, who are they going to hire? Mm -hmm. And Baylor, especially when I was there, did not have the reputation of being very supportive of women athletics. But because Mulkey has done so well and really put Baylor on the map for women's athletics and, and basketball, uh, I started thinking, okay, now who would be out there they'd go after? And I, I kind of, and then last night I was talking to my mom and we were talking about this. And it hit me, the current 
president of Baylor University is an, a women's basketball athlete. She played at, for her college. She's going to want to hire somebody really good to keep that legacy going. So that's going to be a fun thing to see how that comes about and, and who they end up uh, getting to take that position. But she, I remember watching Mulkey when she played undergraduate. At, at Louisiana at, Tech. At Tech. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. And uh, coaches the same way. Well, and I love that you had this conversation last night with your 92-year-old mother, uh, because yesterday I got a text from my 81-year-old aunt who said, just heard on TV that Kim Mulkey will be LSU head coach. Do we like her? (laughs) (laughs) And I was so so proud of my aunt, A, for watching the sports part of the news, but B, you know, okay, it's great that this person got the job, but it doesn't matter if we don't like her. So that was a lot of fun. And I'm so glad this is the perfect segue, um, Diana, because I know we've had lots of conversations over the years. Obviously, we weren't talking about women's basketball, but we have talked a lot about your family and the importance of family. I know your brother and his family live on your 200 acre family ranch uh, that's located about 300 yards from your mom's house. Your mom turned 92 uh, years young in March. We are huge fans on the show of moms, by the way. Huge, huge fans of moms. You're celebrating your 20th wedding anniversary this summer. Tell us how family has influenced you, not only growing up and in terms of helping you to become the person and professional that you are. And what what would you say is their influence on you? Oh, I mean, it's it's just the absolute foundation of everything I do. Um, I was very fortunate to have the, the leave it to beaver kind of upbringing, you know, it was, I didn't realize till I got to college that other individuals sometimes don't have such a great chance when they, they start in with their families. And, uh, but I was very fortunate, grew up in a small town, 3000 people, I think we had 50 in my graduating class. Uh, so it was really, we knew most everybody. And if you didn't know them from, from school and the, the, being the parents of kids I was in school with, we knew them from church and, and other community events. So I never, it, it gave me just a lot of confidence and, and a feeling of safety mm-hmm. to know the people for walking home from elementary school and got scared or needed something or whatever pretty well knew there was a house close by that you could go to and knock on their door. Uh, and even if you didn't know them, you knew that they'd probably treat you right. So that was really helpful growing up in that kind of environment with a, a really strong, supportive um, parents and other family members. And so uh, that definitely helped a lot. And I think it also provided the, the basis for how I always wanted to treat my staff. Uh, they felt like family. We were together every day, all day. And then, and then the challenging parts, you know, you always learn a lot when challenging situations are the conventions, you know, you got to put those things on and get them to run. And uh, our goal was always to have that convention so that everybody who attended never knew of any problems that were, were existing, which there always were fires to put out. So that was, that was a, I think a really good place that got me to the point that you treat people like family, they'll be treated right. Um, but that's because I had a good family growing up. Um, gosh, my brother and his wife, um, we moved 
to uh, that small town of Bridgeport, Texas. It's northwest of Fort Worth. Um, when I was in third grade, just finishing third grade, my dad worked in the oil field industry in a refinery. And so that his job took him there and that's where we went. And I had, had lived in East Texas, which had a lot of pine trees, kind of like the, I guess the Western side of Louisiana, I don't know. Um, and, and it was such a change for me as a third grader because a lot of families were moving in and they just overwhelmed the school. Mm -hmm. So the only place they had for, for me as a third grader in March of that year, school year, was in the special ed class. So I got placed in special, and my mom didn't know the difference. She just said, you know, principal said, this is your new teacher and blah, blah, blah. And I didn't really understand where I was either except that all these kids were so much farther behind me and trying to do their work. And my teacher cried every day. Oh, no. He was so frustrated. And, and of course, I think they very different from nowadays, mm -hmm. but they placed her there because she was getting ready to retire and they knew they could put her wherever. Um, so it was, it was kind of a, another growing experience, um, so to speak. Um, my mom's probably always been and still is the greatest influence in my life. She, uh, She's just amazing and, and teaching me that truth always rules out, um, that you need to be honest and work hard. We always had chores as kids growing up. I always got mad because my, my little brother, he's three years younger than me, seemed to get the easier hand of things. I mean, he, his duty was to clean the bathrooms and his idea of doing that was to take the hand towel and wipe out the sink and dust off the counter and he was done and going outside playing. Um, compassion, caring for others was, was huge. And she taught that more through demonstrating rather than explaining. I remember one Thanksgiving, I was, I don't know, probably nine or 10 or 11, some, somewhere in there. We'd run to the grocery store with mom to get something last minute. And we came out and there was this older woman sitting on a bench there by the parking lot. And mom says, she didn't know her. She said, are you okay? Can, can we help you? Something you need a ride home. And she said, oh, I was just sitting here thinking about it being Thanksgiving. And mom said, yeah, you have family and people come in? No, I don't have any. But turned out the woman didn't have anybody for Thanksgiving. Mom takes her home with us. So that was not unusual for her to do that sort of thing. So it was, um, she's just been a great inspiration. Okay, I'm sorry. I was, no, I was going to say, I think that that had a huge impact on your leadership position. I do. I think it had an oh, amazing, yeah. you seem like all those qualities just transferred and that doesn't always happen. I don't know that sometimes we don't want our, we, we don't want all those good qualities come over, but it looks like you, your mom, which, you know, she's got to be proud of you and what all you've been able to do. I don't think she is. Maybe. <laughs> of course, if I had done nothing uh, other than teach school, she still would have been proud. So that's that's Correct. one of those situations. Um, well, we're talking about anniversary this summer. It's a big one, you know, one of those. And I don't know where the years went. I just, it just feels like yesterday. So it's amazing. Uh, but I met my wife at Texas Women's University. We were both working on our, our PhDs. Uh, she came in the year that I was graduating. 
So I met her and, and other students, you know, that were in our classes and stuff. But I really, and then I took the job at NAGWS and left the state for, for several years. So it was about four years later that after I graduated that we reconnected at one of the tapered uh, conventions. A friend of ours, Dara Smith, had invited me down to do a program on um, girls and women in sport. And so did that and I think something else, but um, she and Rosie were good friends. And so Rosie was also presenting. So I got to hang out with them a little bit in you know, that TW connection. And kind of the rest is history from there, but it was definitely long distance dating for a while. So that's um, kind of the catch up on our our families. Uh, my, I was going to say a little bit about my brother and his wife. Um, gosh, they've been married now 40 something years. And uh, she and her family have roots in that little area. I think three generations, she may be third or fourth generation that has settled there. And, uh, and then my brother, they started dating in seventh grade, and are now got married. She played basketball for Texas Women's University and coached for several years, but they didn't get married till she was probably a junior or senior in college. And, uh, but that's still incredible that she could have put up with him for that long. It still does. You know, I think it's what's amazing is family and, and just so much, you know, you talk about your education makes a difference, the family. And of course we've talked, my mom, you know, I wish I, 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 all my all my friends who, who their mother's still alive i i am so jealous of that because mm -hmm. honestly that is such what a what a gift to be able to continue on and having that supporter that's a diehard supporter your entire life i mean that's amazing buddy well, yeah can i, I just gonna, i knew can you were I, gonna come in can i just remind you real quick yeah that my mother loves you more than me well, so, and, and I'm thankful that I have mothers I'm just saying, that have adopted me mm, along the way since mm -hmm. my mom, my sweet mom has gone mm -hmm. to heaven. But uh, I do love Char Charity's mom is like my second mother, and I appreciate her so much that she loves me. <laughs> but anyway, I, getting back to you know, having that incredible support, you did you you did so much for Tayford, and and I know that uh, Charity and I we talked about when we were Southern District presidents and get it what the gift it was to be able to go to Texas who you know there was almost like this fight who was going to be be able to do the Texas visit because that conference I'm going to be honest with you it's it was the the big one it's the one that everybody goes you got to go to Texas and I remember it well uh and truthfully uh so to actually be executive director over Tayford I mean it's almost like its own country uh because it's so big so uh, amazing stuff that you've been able to do. But wow, when you walked away and you hung up whatever, I guess it's not a whistle, it's not your tennis shoes, it's whatever the thing it is that when you're ED and you hang that up. So what, what fires you up now when you, now that you're in retirement world, and by the way, we, what everybody doesn't know is that you and I did have a retirement conversation <laughs> before, before this podcast started recording. Uh, I am I am getting more more and more interested about, retirement issues and the thought about it. So uh, kind of give us an idea of what's it like being retired and what fires you up every day now? Good questions. Um, the retirement part, especially the, the first year 
is always challenging. I remember when I when I got into the association management world and didn't coach anymore, or even just going back to school and not coaching anymore, I would I would have this anxiety and every year in August, I mean, like for years, it was like middle of August starts coming and you get more and more anxious. And it finally, finally figured it out that it was, I wasn't going to volleyball practice. That's when volleyball practice started. You needed to have everything in line and, you know, so that it's almost like that. Uh, you just, but, but it, because it was year around, it's generally now more focused around nah, October, November, September, whenever you start planning for convention, not that you don't plan all year long, but it's coming and it's getting closer and closer. Uh, that lasted for a couple of years. And just the, the, the void of not having that daily contact with staff and members. Uh, still keep up with a lot of members. Thank goodness for Facebook. There are some good things on Facebook. Uh, and, you know, just what they're doing with their career. A lot of them have retired. Uh, but a lot of those, those professionals that were on our board of directors that I spent more time with. Uh, that's what you'll miss. Uh, and your and analogy is your students that you miss the most. I still miss some students, even though, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's amazing how they become family, but you don't get to see them at family reunions so much. If you are enjoying the show, please subscribe to Scaling the Summit in iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform. While you're at it, if you are finding value in this show, we would appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Thanks and enjoy. And now back to Scaling the Summit Radio Gold. But conventions, that's that's what the, the family reunions that we all know and appreciate so much. Uh, and just this past year, not being able to go to those has definitely hit a spot that we're all just craving. I can't, I'm really hoping that people come back in droves because they've missed each other so much to do that. There's somebody at the door. What? So oh, wait, we at, don't, at, our, at our door? At our door. So we have a front or back door. <clears throat> that I don't know. Oh, what, we shouldn't let strangers in. We buddy. should not let strangers in. But for some reason, oh, this wait. is a this is a good time. This doesn't look uh -oh. like a stranger. This is not a stranger. Uh -oh. It's Maria. It's Maria <laughs> Melchionda from Massachusetts. Welcome. Thank you for coming into our well. Uh, I guess this is a uh, this our, is our, our living, living room? a living our room living area. Room. Yeah, yes, room. yes. Welcome to our living room. I always love the southern living room. <laughs> <laughs> the southern living living room. That's us. Thank you for inviting me, and Diana. So great to see you. Oh, it's awesome to see you, Maria. It's been way too long. It has. How's retirement treating you? Well, we were just talking about retirement a little bit. <laughs> I think if I, if I hadn't had a house to remodel, I probably would have gone crazy that first year. But you just kind of go from organizing one thing to organizing another that you have very little control over. Uh, but yeah, it, it's uh, doing great. Uh, one of the things, I mean, we were just talking about COVID and conventions, uh, missing seeing all your friends and buddies and, and that sort of thing. We were lucky to find a house on a lake. And so we remodeled that house and 
and spent the second year kind of following up on the things that you wish you had done right. And then the, this third year it has the COVID hit. But I, I told Rosie, I said, you know, the, if there's a good thing about COVID, we're in a good place to be imprisoned. We've got kayaks and fishing. We've learned to magnet fishing. And have y'all done any magnet fishing? No, yeah. but I, I need to hear this because I live on a lake and I love to fish. Talk yes, to me. Do. Talk to her me. Nep- her nephew and his family came to visit and her nephew brought this magnet that was about, about this big around and tied to a rope. And so he, off our dock, would throw it out in the water and drag it in and there's a railroad spike. Dog, oh. Throw it out in the water and drag it in. It's been amazing. We've been kayaking. We have pretty close to a bridge. And so we kayak down to the bridge and throw it in. First thing we caught was the water line that went underneath. Like they never got the magnet off that. But uh, Rosie caught half of a bicycle. We don't handle bars, but we don't know where the second half is. So we're still (laughs) looking for that one. But uh, we got into it. Of course, he introduced us to you. Just look up magnet fishing on uh, Amazon and you get these magnets of different in densities I guess or density and uh, I think hers is about 40 pounds if you get it any more than that you can't pull it up okay I was gonna say kayaking is a small boat and I'm a big woman and like I and I'm thinking about throwing off this thing and bringing up a bike and I'm thinking I might be in the water Mm. this is a serious (laughs) buddy buddy was I the only person that for just a little bit thought the fish got sucked onto the magnet i, I don't I, I, I wasn't sure how that worked but in my mind i thought well that's an interesting way to get the fish yeah okay. we're talking about pollution in the water right now. absolutely you got to get it out well yeah. hey maria i know you and uh diana were executive directors at the same time members of sam and all that good stuff do you have a fun maria, uh, fun diana story you could share with us that's oh wow you know acceptable for the airwaves <laughs> Go ahead, Diana. (laughs) I'm sweating already, Maria. I I know. Well, you know, I just, I I just remember us talking probably almost every week, or if not every other week, Um, and just, you know, talk about our families. And the memory I have most of Diana is how much she cares about her family and her friends. You know, from Rosie to her dad to her mom to everyone, and I think that um, we've had some great discussions about that, about family, how much we we care about them, and how much they brought to our lives. Um, and then, of course, you know, we talked about how great our Sam group was with all of our wonderful friends, and how blessed we were to hang out with such a great crew. So, I can't even tell you how wonderful it's been to be friends with Diana all these years. Um, I think we got closer to once um, I got into the leadership part of it and I was blessed to talk with you all those times because you were treasure at the time and did a good job keeping us all in line, let me tell you. (laughs) But um, yeah, it's it's been great. And more memories to come after all this is over. Absolutely. That's what we can't wait. We can't wait to get back together. You know, I, yeah. it's just going to be awesome to see people in person and hug them, you know? Yeah. Amen. Cause I'm well, a hugger. You're a what? A hugger. A hugger. A hugger. A hugger. A hugger. A hugger. That, 
I am a I hugger. Translation on that one. <laughs> hey, Maria, what's that favorite hotel where you like to stay? The Marriott. The Marriott. Yes. The Marriott. Sometimes we get there by car. <laughs> Charity. Buddy. Charity. Maria Charity. knows I love her. Charity. Yeah. Love to hear her talk. I, I do. I, and she I loves hearing us talk I'm because sure. you don't think that we have an accent. No, so. we don't. No, she is so sweet to us. Uh, I'm you, sorry, Maria. You came into our front door or our back door to come and join us, not to be brutalized by my friend. <laughs> so thank you for joining us today. And I know that this is what a gift. And I hope that maybe you and Diana can actually have a, another chit chat sometimes. We will. And it's, certainly the hugs. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Great to see you, Maria. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Diana. Thanks for coming. Thank you, my Southern friends. Take care. Great to see you. <laughs> Bye. Well, buddy, that was fun. We you know, had a little visitor. You know, Diana, we, we've had a chance on a couple of we, on a couple of our podcasts. We've we started open our front door and our back door, and there's no telling who comes in. So, uh, you know, those it. are those are gifts that um, are not always scripted. So I never know. When I have I have an admit button going, ding dong, it's somebody's there, so uh, we have to be there. Surprise! <laughs> All right, it. Diana, we're going to get, get us back. We're going to get, get back, back on track, and I do have a question for you about your time at NAGWS. You know that was yeah. such a wonderful organization. It did absolutely, in my opinion, the best work, perhaps you know, at the Alliance during those years, and it was just so important. The mission of NAGWS was so important. Um, Sandra and I were both on the GWS board. Um, we've had Sean Latta on the show before, which is, of course, it was great to talk to her. So, you know, I know you mentioned a little earlier about the uh, board meetings and the um, maybe the culture around how those were set up. Um, you know, I'm curious about what was it like to have that job? Because it part of me just says it had to be the coolest job in the world but I know you missed you missed Texas a lot so how did that how that all kind of come together well I I had a, a, a well she was actually the dean of of our college there at Texas Women's University her name was Dr. Ann Euler uh she had been executive director of AIW mm. didn't know that at the time but when I started looking for jobs as I was getting closer and closer to graduation uh, NAGWS was advertising for an executive director. Well, I had always planned on being an athletic director here in Texas, one major high school system or something. Um, when I started looking at those jobs before I went back to school, every single one of them looking for an athletic director for their school district required head football coaching experience. Wow. And I there and thought, how in the world am I going to find that? And so I kept twirling that around in my head. And finally, um, I just called Donna Lopiano and said, I need some advice and told her this situation. He says, well, you know, you're never going to get that. And if you can't get the experience, you need to get the education. And so really, that was the, the motivating point for me to go back to get my PhD. And I really think she knew at the time that if I were to go ahead and complete that degree, I would have other opportunities than just doing an athletic directorship, which I did. And that's what got me into NAGWS. So as I was looking at the jobs and that came up, I didn't even know what an executive director did. I had no idea. Uh, wasn't in my wheelhouse. So I went and I was interning with 
with Dr. Euler at the time, and I talk, was talking to her about this, and so she, her wheel started turning because she knew so many people, especially through AIW. So then comes in all of these leading women that were part of NAGWS and helped create that environment. Um, and so she started talking to me about what it meant to be an executive director and what you needed to do and those sorts of things. And I think her influence as well as, as Dr. Carolyn Mitchell from SFA. Uh, Carolyn was a board member and president, past president of NAGWS. And I think those two kind of helped influence the search committee a little bit because Lord knows that just on my interview, I wouldn't have gotten a job. Uh, but it was coming into it, it was good that I was clueless because I didn't know, had never been an executive director. Uh, so take to that just like you do in coaching. Uh, you know, every year I always joined the volleyball coaches, I mean, the volleyball officials association. And, and I was part of that group as they wanted to change rules or wanted to create new rules. And it helped me learn and, of course, know those officials that were going to show up at my gym two, twice a week. Um, but it's what I did with, with NAGWS. I pulled out the, the rule book the bylaws and read up on that. I talked to the CEO a lot about, you know, what this meant and what that meant. Uh, the gentleman that hired me didn't stay, I don't think even a year after I was hired, but was, was very helpful. And then Mike Davis came on board and he was an early riser as am I. And so I was generally at work by 6.30 of the morning and he would come in and grab his coffee and I'd get my diet Pepsi and we'd just sit down and visit for a while. Uh, that was very helpful. It's, it's like Sandra said, it's helpful to know people as people rather than just your boss. Because mm -hmm. uh, then you get a chance to know where they're coming from um, whenever they have statements and rules and whatever. So that was one good thing. I was clueless. I had to learn and I was so grateful to have learned at AFERD after I got into uh, all of this association management and seeing how other organizations are organized and run their groups. Uh, we have a really, really good foundation. And I, I give credit for that because we were educators. We're academia that created those rules. They had to make sense. They had to lead a direction. You had to come out with something overall. So that was, that was fortunate. And I think most states, if not all states, associations, patterned their bylaws after AFERDS and therefore have that same kind of uh, sense of, they've changed a few things, but mainly it's all still the same. All run by volunteer board of directors that change pretty, pretty regularly. And so that taught me that if you're gonna have an organization run by a board of directors that changes all the time, the rules had better be pretty stable. Uh, that each group sees and values those rules so that the organization doesn't change with people's whims here, there, and yonder. And that's proven to be true many, many times with several different associations. Uh, the other saving grace for me was Patty Rodriguez. Patty, uh, her husband worked in government in D.C., and she, they lived there outside Reston, and she had looked for a place to volunteer and was there helping out in the NAGW office whenever I came on board. She was very organized, uh, very good at what she did and how to get things done. 
uh, taught me a lot. Um, she was the woman responsible for getting Robin Roberts to our uh, GWS luncheon. Uh, Robin was at ESPN that time, at that time. Patty contacted him, I have no idea how she got the number, but she did. And this was before the internet was, it was existing, but it wasn't as well used as this today. Uh, tracked Robin down, actually talked to her scheduling secretary, whatever that title was, said, we need her here for this luncheon on this date. And Robin got back to us right away and said, I would love to do this. But I have to tell you, I never know when, when ESPN is going to tell me I need to be on air for this, this or go somewhere. She said, so I just need to let you know that I would love to come. I'd love to be there as long as it's possible. So that presented another problem. Okay, what if that happens last minute? Then what are we going to do? So we arranged to have another well-known celebrity be there to receive a special award that we created so that she would, would come and get the award. And if we had to, we would make that presentation during the luncheon. And if we didn't, then we'd have a special session set up for that. So that was the way that we worked that. And thank goodness Robin was able to come. I'll never forget in her speech, I won't know all of it, but the one thing I took away from that, she made the statement, I got where I'm here today because I always try to put myself in places for good things to happen. Uh, so that has, I've used that many times uh, for myself and others. You have to plan, you have to know your direction, you have to know where you're going. You need to, uh, to make sure that the decisions you make will put you in that place for good things to happen. They just don't come along and happen. And I think a lot of our youngsters don't believe that. It's a great uh, point. That's a great yeah. point. Yeah. One of the, you know, we, we all love NAGWS so much, but the history is incredible. Mm. And I just, as I studied for my interviews, learned a lot. And uh, it's just always been amazing to me how much those women did and putting together that organization, the rule books that we used for sports, mm -hmm. for girls sports forever. Uh, and then the women within that organization were the ones who created the AIAW, uh, Association for Intercollegiate Athletics for Women, that, that uh, a lot of our predecessors played under those rules. In fact, I can remember- Buddy, you did. I did. Yeah. I did, and I think it was interesting because I just read an article about all the different things that came out with basket with the, with the issues that that they saw was the inequities, uh, and someone was saying, you know, we need to go back to the old. And, and I said they laid a foundation. The AI, it, and it was it was really a cool article. It talked about NAJWS and AIW. They knew how to run and make it at student uh, centered. Anyway, it was great, and I was just trying to pull it up on my phone. I went, ah, oh, I should have. I should have done that. That would be well. It's kind of if cool. you find if you find that article again, send it to us. I, I really promise. I promise. It, it was one of those things that I was just kind of going through yeah. and clipping, and but it was it caught my attention. I went, oh my gosh! And it I, then I got caught some doing something right after that, and it was gone. I went, what a neat thing! But I think I I was an athlete that AI. I was an AIAW uh, player uh, where the gift that that they had and the organization that they did for my freshman uh sophomore and junior year it was my senior year when the ncaa and aia 
took over. Yep. And I think that that was, you know, that the, their business model, which is what the article is really talking about, how it's kind of faltered. Even though right. women, there's no doubt. Listen, I, I will go ahead and say it. I've said it before. There's no doubt the women are, are present on TV and different things. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a lot of money involved that, that I know that would have been very hard for that founding group. But I will say, I think that there's still some real issues out there. But I love this because it's a great segue into my question. It kind of takes us back because I still have some of those GWS books. I'm trying to look up here on my <laughs> um, on my in my library and go. Those GWS rule books were were awesome. Yep. Uh, so when we were here, we were high school, and I, I said I really want to go back to that high school because, as you know, my passion is and always will be middle school, high school, physical education. And when you were talking about that coaching deficit that you that you lose in life, there's no doubt when I came to UAB and knowing that this was not. I was coming for a teaching position, not a coaching position. I had, I, I will not tell those first few years of hearing the balls bounce. Mm-hmm. It, it, it hurt my heart. And I was thinking I had to stay away. I had to totally stay away from it, honestly, to get out of that anxiety. But I think the point is I'm interested in that, how you felt prepared. You know, you had, you had great um, opportunities in all these high schools that you that you taught it. So you coached volleyball. Let's see, I'm gonna go back to us volleyball, basketball, tennis, track, uh, and track. And that was very close to me because I did everything. I didn't do track. Now I think track might have been outside of whatever I could do. Buddy, uh, no, we're not what? we're not we're cut not out runners. for track. Okay, thank mm-hmm. you. But I was no. thinking more of the field experiences. I might could handle those positions, you know, like shot put and all those. Those we can, the, we, can we can throw <laughs> we can throw heavy things, but we can't run fast. Okay, that, that's that's correct. But I, I'm just gonna say, what a gift it is to to actually have been a high school middle school coach and teacher. Uh, do you have anything? Well, I don't want to spend a, an enormous amount of time, but I just want to give you a chance to. Is there anything that of that experience that we want to share with our listeners during those days? Like you know, there's there's just thousands, but right. one of the ones, and I, I as I talk about all this, it's just like I was born under a lucky star or something. My first year of teaching at Midlothian, which is the, it was a tiny little place at that point, south of Arlington, and there was another tiny little town, oh probably twenty minutes away in a town called Red Oak. That's going to come into the story. So I'm out there, you know, my experience is is basketball. The, the only two sports we had in my high school growing up was basketball and tennis for, for girls. And so I really, I've taught myself volleyball and went to thousands of clinics to be able to teach the students. But track just never, I'm not fast, nor, nor can I pick up heavy things. So I, that just wasn't in my bailiwick at all. Um, but they needed, you know, we needed a girls track coach. So we did that into the, the, the year, springtime Thing. So we're out on the track in uh, this little town, and we have a high jump pit with foam rubber, I think, and stuff for the, the athletes to fall into. And I look up, and there's this tall, I mean, as volleyball coach, basketball coach, you always recognize those tall girls. A tall girl coming across the field with, a, with another one with her. And so they walk over to me, and, and this tall woman says, I my name is Louise Ritter and I'm from Red Oak and I just wanted to introduce myself and ask if 
if we might could use your track in the afternoons. And I said, okay, so what's your story? She says, well, I'm a high jumper and I've, I've been in enough meets that I can't compete in UIL. She was competing, not professionally, she wasn't getting paid, but she was competing at the national level. And I don't know what the rule was in, in our state at the time about she couldn't compete. So she was helping coach her friend, but they didn't have a pit in Red Oak. So I said, okay, I can, yeah, you're welcome to come use ours, but you need, I need you to coach my players as well. That was a great move. That was a great move. I think Diana has learned the art of delegation. Really early. Wait, 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 wait. You need to hear this. This is right out of college. It, that doesn't just happen. Yeah. How do you have that kind of brain? I don't know. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I think my dad gets credited with that. He, <laughs> okay. He's the ultimate horse trader. Um, <laughs> but Louise was Louise was awesome. I follow her through her college career. She was a an athlete at Texas Women's University. Uh, she set all kinds of national records. And I, in fact, I got lucky one one meet. We just happened to. I knew the meet was going on, and I was going home. So I was my Bridgeport's about thirty miles from or 40 miles from TWU. So I wanted to go see her jump. Be dang, but what she didn't set a national record that day. And I learned, I know so little about track, but I learned at that, at that meet, they only had a, was it fiberglass, a, a plastic looking kind of tape measure, but to be able for the record to be valid, it had to be measured with a metal tape measure. So somebody had to go find one. So we, we waited forever, it felt like, for somebody to bring a metal tape measure out there to, to verify and validate her record that year. And I think she said another couple after that, but uh, she was an amazing athlete as well, uh, but not one as well known as the basketball world. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, what, what kills me though, is that your, it, your initial career, you had some amazing people that just dropped in. You just said, it's lucky stars. You just, mm-hmm. I mean, you just had great people that just happened to walk to your track and go, can I? And I'm thinking, I, I don't know. I mean, I had some great people, but none of them were world record holders or great uh, NCAA basketball coach. I mean, you you did rack up. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm gonna. Fortunate. I'm gonna go ahead and 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 ask one more question here. We're gonna move on to this next one because this this is important. This amazing career that you had laid out. There have been people that you've already said were real important to you. Besides your and I and I, your parents and your family made a huge push. Are there? Do you, would you like to like give a shout out to anybody for all the things that what's happened in your career to maybe somebody who influenced you, um, and it was was influential in this incredibly successful career? Wow, I know I've, I've mentioned a lot of my of my mentors and those who have really just taught me so much and and a lot of times it wasn't even that they were trying to teach me anything or others around it's by example uh it's that that there's just so 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 valuable in all of that I'm going to end up leaving out somebody important I know but um for the most part I, I just know there's someone that I haven't thought of um hey it's okay if you don't if you can totally skip it and and i think i think the biggest thing is there's um 
you know, it's hard. And I, I get, I get really kind of people go, Sandra, you cannot ask me to name one person when I've had so many people. And I, and sometimes we've talked about, maybe we should just scratch this question because a lot of people go, I'm going to leave somebody out. We're just going to go into a blanket thing. A lot of people helped you along the way. You've been, and I, I think the stars align for somebody who, who sets themselves up correctly. I'm going to right. be honest with you. I, I'm not a big thing about luck. I, honestly, I believe you help. You you kind of help things line up. And I think you've done that. But I, there's no doubt you've had some amazing people that you've already said on the show that have right. been great. So I don't want you to feel pressured to, I don't you know, <laughs> I don't want it to be a light where you leave, leave anybody out. There's not anybody. There's lots of people that made you who you are. But we got to come all the way back to your mom and dad. I'm sure that yep. that's, that's a big piece. Yep. It is a big piece. All right. All right, Diana. So this is rapid fire. Fun questions. Are you ready? Oh boy. Yeah. Okay. First one. What was high school Diana like? <laughs> um, I know y'all aren't going to believe this, but I'm not totally a wallflower, but close. Uh, I wasn't a partier. Uh, we were in a dry county, but I know a lot of my high school friends they had the parties and the drinking and the carrying on but I just I just never never participated and so I wasn't really in that crowd um, I learned I don't remember where but of course my dad never met a stranger so he would talk to anybody and everybody and my mom was pretty much the same way uh, and, and so that environment just left me to be friendly with everybody uh and I always always we always walking up the hall you know hi whoever and different stuff and I don't remember a lot of clicks but I'm sure they were there uh I just didn't participate uh, you know if if they were not in a certain click it didn't matter to me I didn't care that served me well through the years because I uh, I had a coach at a rival school that was extremely successful, but not very friendly. I, you mm. know, us Southerners, you just start questioning when people aren't friendly. It's like, okay, what's going on? So I made it my goal in life to get this woman to at least say hi back to me when I said hello to her at different places. It took me two years. Two wow. years of just going out of my way, every place I saw her to go up and say hello. And she it took her two years till she finally said hello back. But after that, you know, it was pretty friendly. It was just so funny to me that it took that long. She's not from the South. I'm sorry. All yeah, right. Yeah. All right. You're, you're going to be stranded on a desert island with three people. Who are they? Who would you pick? Oh, my gosh. Oh, <laughs> oh no. I'm the person that always does the number things. I always make it hard. I'm sorry. Oh, I, you know, we had this question at a, at a party not too very long ago. So I'm not going to get in trouble here. The first one I would pick would be my wife, Rosina McCabe. Uh, make sure that 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 is covered. Uh, I would love to have my mom. Uh, nice. Always bouncing things off her. Uh, and I think Jody would be fun to have around. Woo. I, I okay, don't, that's I a don't serious disagree. island. That's yeah. a, that's going to be a that's going to be a good island. I mean, I knew it was hard for you to pick between me and Sandra. So probably oh, yeah. going, oh, going, I, going with Jody was, was, was definitely bet. better. Yeah. Yeah. I really didn't want to, I didn't want to hurt either one. Of yeah. Your yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate that. 
All right, Diana, tell us about your perfect weekend. Oh, geez, I have a lot of those, seems like. Um, we just uh, we just bought an RV, took Ooh. it out for the first time this past weekend. You wouldn't think there would be a whole lot to learn about that stuff, but mm, there's a no, there, whole yeah. lot to learn about that one. Um, so I'm a, I'm a tent girl. Mm -mm. are you really <laughs> yeah um, i have i have a young boy that that like that is a scout so we have to do oh, that's we're, we're we're scouting i'm a hyatt yeah. girl hyatt <laughs> weston you know marriott <laughs> whatever yeah yep. with yeah. the concierge level yes oh absolutely buddy <laughs> come on man you kidding me I have a, a little bit of both i do love the nice hotels but i also like being out and and so we we went to a state park here close by it's about 15 miles away which was smart because we ran to town several times, mm -hmm. uh, but there are a ton of tents. There are really a lot of tents out there and a lot of kids. So that was really the fun part. Uh, don't get around kids much anymore, um, but that was fun. I love those kids in the learning situations. Um, anywhere you can do an early morning walk and enjoy all the, the animals and different critters around. Uh, do though like having somebody to cook and clean up. I don't like to do either one of those things. Uh, <laughs> kayak and, and golfing involved mm. or magnet fishing, again, would be fun. Uh, and then some time for reading, time to just kind of chill out. Oh, that sounds like a good one. All right, I'm going to ask a question. Beach or, or mountains? Beach, beach oh, or the mountains? Beach. Uh-oh, that's a good beach. one. Mountains are too damn cold. Okay. <laughs> All right, uh, Diana, favorite musician or band? Oh, boy. Um, I do more reading than listening to music, okay. but I do have uh, Barbara Streisand has always been a favorite. Of course, you know, these are the oldies. Back That's all right. Really listening okay. to stuff. That's uh, love her. Yeah. Uh, Aretha Franklin. Mm. Cher. Buddy. Well, but you like share, Diana? You no, like yeah. share? Sh okay, I don't like. do this, Diana. Don't do this. This could she'll say, hey, buddy, buddy, she'll are you ready? No, buddy? I, I'm gonna okay. hit pause. Oh no. If I could turn back down. Okay, that's it. I mean, that don't, was really okay, that was pretty it. good. No, no was that? please. Oh, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Diana. That was okay. I'm gonna throw a little kink in this. You can have the last question, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do one more because I'm real interested since all this talk about Texas. If you had another state you could live in, oh God, that you would stay. Okay, I need to hear this because clearly you've been coming back to Texas. I see this in your home. Is there another place you ever would consider now living? Oh, I'm probably going to get in trouble on this one. Uh oh, don't do it. No, no, no. No, you <laughs> should totally do it. Rosie and I have seriously been talking about this. Our Texas politics drives us crazy. And so the more volatile that got the last few years, we really started looking seriously at where else would you go? And it's not so much the other state, it's families here. You know, right. as long as families here, yeah. that's, that's pretty much the, the grounding factor. But there's so many states that we love. Uh, we got married in Vermont. Absolutely love that state, it's beautiful. Um, love anything West. Rosie is a West Texas woman, meaning cactus and sand and dirt and that sort of stuff. I'm not, but 
I love the western part of our United States. All the national parks that are out there are just amazing, amazing structures. So I'm thinking that RV is going to be, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to, it's going to go to some of those states and you might yeah. end up finding, who knows where that other retirement place is. Thanks for letting me add that one on. All right. So Diana, we are at the end of our show and we have a fun little game that we like to play called Two Truths and a Lie. This game is in honor of our friend Cam Kirst. And I know you know Cam. Uh If you ever want to know more about Cam, you should play this (laughs) game with her. So you're going to tell us three statements about you. Two of them will be true. One of them will be a lie. And buddy, you and I are going to work this out together. All right. You ready? Okay. Buddy, you ready? Okay. Diana, you ready? Yep. Okay, hit us. All right. I once owned a drive through beer barn business. I have trained and ridden a horse in dressage competition. I directed a multi-million dollar business. Okay, okay, wait a minute. Okay, okay. buddy. So text, I think number three, Tayford is a country of its own. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think, I think. That's true, that's, that's, that's totally a, that, true. I think, I think we could say, don't you think? I think yeah, three yeah. is yes. a truth. Yeah, we're taking it off okay, the table. Okay, okay. So this horse, okay, look, she's in Texas. I know. I want to say okay. that's true, too. Okay. That but had, I really I really want to say that she had a drive through beer barn, because that just okay. sounds so cool. Uh, but she said she owned it? Yeah. Will you, re- will you repeat number one? I need you to repeat number one. Okay. I owned a drive through beer barn business. Okay, maybe she just worked there. Maybe she didn't own it. Yeah, she said she owned it. I know. That's why I'm saying it's a technicality. <laughs> Maybe right, she just like worked there, you know? Okay. I'm I can see say, the horse thing. Couldn't you? Yes. Yeah. I think I think it's number one. I think number one is is the lie. Okay, buddy. I'm going to go with number two just, just to because, offset your number one. So you could try to win. I'm covering the spread. And <laughs> what if she, what if number three that we're, for sure no, is we, that truth. is that is right number three oh, is okay. true all right diana you got to help us out what's the answer um the lie is number two you oh. you owned a beer barn i owned a beer barn oh how cool tell us everything <laughs> <laughs> well it, it started out uh, lived in san marcos which is south of austin um got to a point in teaching that I was like, okay, there's got to be something, some way I can make more money. So I went to, I had one of my athletes, my volleyball players at the time, her dad owned, um, he was president of a bank. So I made an appointment with him and I went and sat down and I said, okay, this is kind of where I am and I need some financial advice. And he said, just come back from a trip to California doing something. And he said, I want to tell you about this great new business that I, I saw in California. And it was a drive-through beer barn. You just drive through, pick up whatever drinks you want to do. And so I thought, okay, well, I don't, I'm not a drinker. I don't know that much about the <laughs> drinking business, but like, where do you even order these things from? So I had a friend whose parents lived in Houston, south of Houston and uh, the, the NASA area. And so I, I called them and they said, yeah, sure. Come on, you can live with us and, and whatnot. And I knew that there was a big beer barn type thing in their area. And I went and applied for a job there and said, so I could learn where he ordered the equipment from, how it ran, all that sort of stuff. So I worked there for about probably a year or so. And the the business had sold 
fairly recently, I don't know how many years this guy, I think he'd only been there a couple, to a, a gentleman from Taiwan that had, had immigrated to the States. Very smart man, uh, very nice, but really, really was focused on making money and, and doing that. And he, so I went to him after I'd worked with for him for about a year and said, you know, I really need to, to give you to my resignation. I'm going to return to San Marcos and blah, blah, blah. And I want to set up one of these, a smaller one, a much smaller one. He said, oh, no, 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 no. You're not leaving. And I said, no, I really need to do this. And he said, I'll make you a partner. And I'm like, okay, let's talk about it. Because they made a lot of money at that beer barn. There was, they, it was on the way to the beach out of Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, he I put a very small amount of money into it. And I became a full partner. Uh, and did that for about three and a half, four years. Uh, you know what got to me though? I'll never forget this family. Late in the afternoon, this family came driving through, man and his wife, two little boys in the back seat. Car was just a wreck. And he, they would order a six pack of whatever the cheapest beer we had at that thing at the time. I think it was Paps Blue Urban. Mm. And, and leave. And a few hours, about an hour and a half or so later, they would come back through and the little boys, I don't think had had dinner because they were mm-hmm. wanting to ask, kept asking about potato chips or if they could have this or that. And so the, I think the first time through they got each got a bag of small bag of chips. Then they would come back through again and order two tall boys because mm-hmm. that's all the money they had left. And then they would leave. And the next day they would come through the, and I just couldn't stand it. I could yeah. not. Do that. Finally, I got to where I'd make somebody else wait on them because I just couldn't, couldn't see that happen again and again. Uh, and I thought, you know, I need to be teaching these kids not selling their parents beer. So that's what I did. I went back and, and back into teaching again. Well, buddy, I, I would have okay. never guessed that one, we, really. We're uh, always blown yep, away. We I'm are. Be honest with you. This has been great. What a gift that we've had a chance just to uh, spend a little bit of time with you and catch and back fun. up. Thank you got- so much. You're so very welcome. I've got more stories next time I oh, see you. Oh, I cannot <laughs> wait. Version number two, Diana 2.0. Well, Diana, thank you so much for your time today. We've had a blast talking to you. And this is brings us to the close of another Scaling the Summit. And just a reminder to our listeners that while you know we're not having the 2021 Health and Physical Literacy Summit, we will be back in person where we can all hug in Birmingham, February 13 through 15, 2022 can't wait to see everybody there and until next week we hope you have a great one